Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for episode 110. That's actually pretty cool. 110 episodes. That is pretty cool. Makes me feel mighty. And I think like 10 of them have actually been good. So, you know. Hey, every every 10%, we're like tithing good ones. We're diving good episodes. I've actually gotten quite a bit of responses to our last podcast, which was all on uh, like doing Facebook advertising and advertising for the holidays and stuff like that. I showed you that email from uh, Joshua Lee Henry, and then um, uh, another guy sent me his postcard, and he's like, hey, can you review this? And a couple other people reached out. I I thought that was kind of interesting. So that must be like a hot button. People must want to know, like... How do we do our advertising for our church? Yeah, you know, and that is great because what what I did, even even with us, like last year, you totally helped us out. I think the the most you helped us out was Easter. Um, but yeah. this year, I was like, I included you in on all the emails, and I'm like, hey, got a guy designing something for us, and we have kind of like a vintage uh, postcard. But we started off doing a home for the holidays, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second, we do this big event. Why not get people to that event and then when you're there give them the postcard you know for what you're going to do on Sundays and that actually made a lot more sense to me you know it's what we call in Britain a two-tiered approach I think um, in marketing they probably get a fancy name for it the fancy name is called um, two-step lead generation two-step but that's what I was thinking it was called (laughs) you would have been right (laughs) I was just going with my hunch you know this comes naturally to me but uh, I can but tell anyways. you're actually a born marketer. People don't know this about you. Everyone looks at you and they say, 
That guy, he's all about branding and the logo. But no, you're a born marketer. I don't care at all about that stuff. I, You know, it's like I always sell, I say, Pete, ugly sells, man. Dude, that is what you always say. You're all about the ugly. That's, that's all I'm oh, saying. Oh, yeah, baby. You know, it's funny because I believe if you have an ugly wife, which I don't, which, you know, I could sell her some. No, I'll stop there now. Oh, my gosh. Where was that going? <laughs> that was not going to a good place. I don't think God. it was. I don't even know where that was going, but I'm like, what is, whoa. <laughs> I It didn't, it wasn't intentional. It just started coming out of my mouth. Words, words keep coming. Stop them. It wasn't premeditated. It's kind of like me. You know all about the Colts. Oh, indeed, indeed. Did you just put out on like Facebook? We needed like a battle cry to get us back on topic. Yeah, I don't think anyone came up with a good one. Oh, there was bunches of them. Like um, one was one was transfer growth. <laughs> That's the battle cry. <laughs> yeah, another one was. Uh, Oh shoot! We should we should look those up. You got them? I no, I don't have them. I was right, just let's look them up. I was thinking about that because I thought one of them that someone had. I thought it was just kind of eh, it was boring because I, I, they're like, yeah, ours is a uh, rabbit trail or something, you know. And every time we get off topic, someone yells out rabbit trail. I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of I don't know. That wasn't exciting to me. I like to no, live life on the boring. edge. Yeah, was that on my Facebook page? Yeah, I don't think it was on the. Uh, all right. I'll I don't think it was on the Church Planner Magazine Facebook page because uh, apparently we don't use that enough, and, and we've upset. My page people. is cluttered with a bunch of crud. Okay, so here's here's the uh, here's the list of topics. So um, some people misunderstood the topic. They're like, um, "Here's a topic." Before we go too deep down this rabbit hole, why don't we at least tell people what we are going to be talking about on this episode? Today, we are going to be talking about Ferguson and the hurt in the heart of America. We're going to be talking about, specifically on that topic, how do you church plant in communities where um, race is so volatile? Because that's the stance that we're taking on this. It's not just, you know, we're talking about Ferguson and our opinions on it. In fact, I don't know how I'm going to make it through without like being opinionated on it. Cause I've got an opinion like everyone else on what's going on, but that's not the point of the episode. So it'll be interesting. See, um, see how we, we do that. So, yeah, it will be. So did you find some of those battle cries? Did you find some yep. of the good ones? Shut up and plant transfer growth. Um, Shut up was a bad word in my house when I grew up. Yeah. Same here. If I say that Liberty said, Oh, you said a bad word, daddy. Really? Um, which, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the words I say apparently are bad words. Frickin' heck is the uh, Christian way of cussing in the Jones household. So I frequently say frickin' heck, but my daughter stayed away from that one, which is good because that's my favorite word. Really? Or combination of words. See, that's not mine. Yeah. Hey, um, didn't someone on Facebook make some comments about your book or something or... And you like jumped in the fray. What was that all about? Because I didn't yeah, see it. I just kind of heard about it. Yeah, some guy posted a quote that he liked, and then some other guy jumped in and put something that you know, like 
I don't understand why people would want to plant a church when there's so many dying churches that we should be. And, you know, he, he made a good kind of point. I mean, you know, it's definitely not an either or kind of thing. I mean, nobody says, hey, let's go plant a church because, you know, uh, you know, the, there's no good churches around. And so I kind of, you know, I tried to reason with him and say, well, you know, if, if you, he said, well, there's 200 churches in my town. And what I didn't realize at the time was that he's an elder of a church struggling. And I, I should have recognized it kind of right away, but I jumped in. My buddy wrote me and said, hey, man, I'm sorry I dropped you in it. And I said, no, I jumped, you know, I got in it. But, uh, the, you know, the guy was, um, he was being a little bit obtuse and when all was said and done, the, the the more that I interacted with him, the less intelligence I felt that that I was detecting. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk. I'm literally saying like I he just kept saying things that told me he never read books. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I kind of was like, you know. But anyways, I just said to him, look, you know, he was like, look, you got to convince me, boom, boom, boom. And I said, look. I wrote a book to convince people and I wrote it one time and I don't want to write it again here. So read it. And, uh, and then, you know, he kind of said like, uh, well, you know, I listen to the Holy spirit and I read the word of God and, uh, kind of went on, you know, America for a while. And I kind of was like, oh, this is, and, and I remember from the very first, I only said a couple things, you know, I wasn't, Definitely wasn't uh, getting in there and giving them any kind of backhanded slaps or anything. But when I see stuff like that, let, let's put it this way. When I watch Jesus in the scripture, he, he kind of tends to deal with people that are pharisaical very differently than how he deals with people who are broken and sinful. And, you know, with them, it's all compassion. It's all love. It's all mercy. It's all grace. It's all. Um, kind of showing his underbelly, whereas with the other uh, side of things, he, you know, he he gives some, you know, let's cleanse a temple time, um, some Pharisee and me time. Those aren't always special moments. Um, you definitely don't hear those as quotable quotes. And as Jesus is um, doing with Pharisees, he usually whacks them upside the head. And I decided, because for me, I either get really angry or I laugh at people like that. And over the years, I've I've just learned to laugh. Like the, it, it's more funny to me, and it's more entertaining to me to just have fun with it. So I determined from the first, like I'll interact with them a couple times, and then that's it. I don't have to win an argument. You know, I'm over that. But uh, I said a couple things trying to be helpful, and then when he wasn't, you know, responding or even considering, or I, you know, I said to him, "Hey, we might want to check out this book or this commentary, which really goes into that." And um, after he's kind of like, oh, commentaries, you know, that's what's wrong with the church. I quoted back to him, Spurgeon, who said, uh, you know, it's funny how those that insist that the Holy Spirit speaks to them um, about the Word of God have so very little regard for what the Holy Spirit may have spoken to others. I always thought that was a really profound point because that's really what's at the heart of it, that they're valuing, you know, uh, God speaks to me personally and, you know, individually, but heaven forbid he should speak to someone else. So I, I quoted that. And he, you know, kind of said a couple of things. And then I made a really funny comment that I thought was really funny. I was laughing when I wrote it. And you know how sometimes you write stuff and you go, 
they're probably not going to see the humor in it like I do. And, uh, and, and that was, no, no, I I never have that happen. No, no, no. I I remember times where that didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) specifically, specific moments. But, uh, what, what happened was I wrote, uh, I, I should just pull it up because it, it was funny as heck, but I said, um, you know, um, uh, I fear that in attempting <laughs> Proverbs 26.5, I've become guilty of Proverbs 26.4. And Proverbs 26.5 is answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And Proverbs 26.4 is do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest he become like him. So I just quit. I was done. Nice. I thought that was pretty funny. I was laughing anyways. I I would have I would have thought that was one of my greatest hits to be honest, but uh I don't know if you're supposed to burn people with scripture, but I remember reading a story once. I don't with, know if you're supposed to burn people with scripture. Come on. I don't think so either. You know what but Ben Franklin used to do? He he used to go home and because he had his own printing press, he would form an argument in the way that that would back up what he was just saying and print it and he would stick it in his Bible and then he would show someone, well, see, the Bible says this. Are you serious? Yes. That's great. <laughs> so John Wesley once was walking down the street and uh, there was this other minister that couldn't stand him. And as they're approaching each other, the other minister says to him, I never move for fools. And John Wesley stepped off the curb, walked right around him, and as he was patching him, said, I always do. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, And so it was one of those moments for me. And, of course, he had been bagging on Charles Spurgeon. And I, you know, it was one of those things. I was wearing my What Would Charles Spurgeon Do bracelet at the the moment. And I thought, what would Charles Spurgeon do? And it just seemed like a Spurgeon thing to say or a Wesley thing to say. Or a Martin Luther thing to say, and shoot, man, those guys pretty much built the church as we know it. So I figured you can't be far wrong going with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I bet you the guy was just Baptist. I like, I no, he wasn't. He wasn't actually. I, I, I'm ah, sure he Baptist. was. You, you don't I've understand. been enjoying the Baptist, man. He, he's a Baptist. Told me. Come on, man. I grew up Baptist. He's Baptist. All I can say is uh, he's not like the Baptists I've met recently because they've been cool. So, Pete. Question is, did you see the new Star Wars trailer? The Star Wars trailer is not out. Uh, At the time that we were recording this podcast, it doesn't come out until this weekend. The ones that going around the internet is a fan-created trailer. It's not a real trailer. I don't know. All I know is Brandon Brooks, who is my constant source of all things Star Wars. It's not a real trailer. It's a fan-made trailer. It's cool. It's cool. I didn't get to see it because I was taking a whiz in the restroom and I pulled up the app on my phone and I saw he sent me a link, but I couldn't get sound. Yeah, no, it, um, I, it's a fan made trailer. It's okay. I don't think it's a good one. I mean, I don't look at it and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a hot movie. It looks like a fan made trailer. I mean, mm-hmm. it just does. It's obviously not professionally filmed scenes. So he probably compiled them from a bunch of different, uh, you know, versions of Star Wars that people have made. You kind of killed that conversation, didn't you? I'm just saying, I I haven't seen it yet, you know? But what I did see is Jurassic World. Did you see that trailer? I did. 
Only because you told me I should. That looks like it's going to be a hot movie. I didn't even know they were making another Jurassic Park. You know what? It, it's funny because I thought all three of those movies were good. I well, they're all brilliant. I'm kind of like you. Um, Jesus and dinosaurs, two of my favorite things. So put them together. Jesus riding a T-Rex. I'm down with that. What I love is the idea that that's always a thing that I felt when I was watching the Jurassic Park films. It was kind of like there's not like millions of people in this park right now to get eaten. Because, you know, you're walking around Disneyland. I don't know if you're morbid, but I'm an ex-firefighter and an RN. So I'm used to carnage. I'm used to seeing people get hurt. I'm always walking around big crowds like that thinking, what if this happened, right? And I read the book about all the accidents at Disneyland. So I'm I'm looking at the pirate ride going, oh, yeah, I know what can happen here. Oh, yeah, you know, over in the uh, monorail. Oh, yeah, you know, a couple people died there. So I'm always thinking about how people get munched up at Disneyland, even though technically no one dies. I think we talked about that. They you did mention that. I, I don't necessarily believe it. I know you don't, but I know yeah. I know a nurse who works there right now, and she confirmed it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that I buy it, but you know, whatever, that's yeah, cool. I, I know you don't, but but just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean He doesn't exist, Pete. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, people who so, are first time listening to the show are like, "Really? They got an atheist on the show?" Oh yeah, oh yeah, Pete. Pete, I'm not going to blaspheme, but but here's the deal. Um, so where, where was I going with that? Who knows? I was talking about Jurassic World. I just, I think it looks like a hot movie. Can't wait to see it so, myself. Yeah. So Jurassic Park, right? Like that's what you want to see is the park full of people getting eaten by dinosaurs. That just makes the movie way cooler. See, but here's Instead the thing. Like as five people running from them, 5,000 people running from dinosaurs. But as, as I look at it, all right, the problem that I got with the whole premise of the movie is Jurassic Park 1, obviously um, something bad happens and everyone dies. Then you got 2 and 3, and it's just, you learn by the end of the third one, this dinosaur thing, not a good idea. So the problem I got with the premise of Jurassic World is, so they went back and decided, no, this time we're going to do it right. I, well, you know, this is the fourth it. movie, fourth time's a charm, right? No, I'm just saying I don't buy that society would be like, that's it. I want to go there to this island that we've heard about where everyone dies. Yeah, well, you know, if after four times of genetically engineering dinosaurs it goes wrong, it deserves a fourth try. <laughs> Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. <laughs> All right, well, today's topic is who would win in a fight, Batman or Darth Vader? Oh, that's not even close. Darth Vader totally would. He's got the force and a and a lightsaber. That's all you yeah, need. See, I got a problem with that. Well, of course you do. You love Batman. You yeah, love the Batman. You love the Batman. I do. And hey, Batman beats up Superman. That was and said Superman in my best Rod Tidwell impersonation. Say what? I said that was said in my best Rod Tidwell impersonation. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. You no. love the Batman. Oh, I dig that. I like it. You are hanging on by a very thin thread. That's what I dig about you. <laughs> See, Jerry, right, that's what's we'll different go. between us. You think we're fighting. I think we're finally talking. 
All right. Well, cool. Since we decided that Batman would win in a fight against Darth Vader, oh, let's so move on to our actual topic today, which is Ferguson. Yeah. So, you know, here's here's the thing. Here's here's the question that I want to pose to you. And and we we briefly talked about, you know, what we were going to talk about on this episode. And um, and I said I thought we should talk about Ferguson just because it's it's all in the news. And um, and, you know, we you and I try on on this podcast to not be political or anything like that, because that's not the point of the podcast, like reaching the lost does not have to do necessarily with like Republicans, Democrats, who's in office, who's not in office, who should you vote for, who should you not vote for? Um, you know, that's not what God's hang up is. That's, that's our hang up. Right. And it's about reaching the lost. So, so I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this without like not having my opinion. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll try and uh, hamper it as, as best I can. Cause that's not the point of what we wanted to talk about on this particular episode in, in regards to Ferguson. So, you know, really one of the questions that I've got for you, Peyton, as the expert church planner, and you've been in lots of different environments and um, and lots of different cultures and subcultures, how do you church plant? Like, what do you do and, and how do you reach people where there is this, um, you know, really heated racial tensions? And and there are absolutely race baiters uh, on on both sides. I mean, you, you, you've got you you've got people who are looking for a race fight. You've got people who exploit race fighting. You've got people who um, who genuinely have you know uh, uh, genuine issues that need to be addressed. You know, you do absolutely yeah. have in society uh, victims of racial issues. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it much on this podcast. I know we've alluded to it, but my best friend in high school, I'm sorry, in uh, college, um, my roommate was black. So black that um, apparently when you're as dark as he is, other black people make fun of you because I guess there's like a hierarchy of blackness. And, you know, when you're as dark as he is, they're like, oh, yeah, you really black. And so, I mean, he used to tell me, he goes, yeah, I get making fun of all the time by other black people. He was the best man at my wedding, uh, been my best friend for years and years. Um, and, and he had to deal, uh, at times in his life with race issues, though he didn't deal with it a lot. Like he grew up in Compton, uh, and then, uh, in high school moved to, uh, Corona, um, which is the Inland Empire here in California. And, and, uh, it's like going from an all black school to an all white school. Like that was the difference. And, um, in fact, it was pretty funny cause he used to say when he first went there, you know, it wasn't used to being around so many white people. He'd be walking down the hall people would go, Hey Reggie. And he'd be like, Hey, how you doing? And then he'd walk a little bit further and someone else would go, Hey Reggie. And he'd go, didn't I just say hi to you? <laughs> He's like, Oh, you white people look the same to me. <laughs> but awesome. so my, my point in that is there are people who have genuine race issues. And then you've got people who were, uh, exploiting race issues uh, then you got people who don't even give a rip. They just want to use it. I mean, we, we saw this with all the uh, looting and rioting. I mean, there's a, a subgroup, a subculture who are like, hey, dude, this is a great opportunity to see if we can go get a free TV out of the store. And um, so, you know, my question is, how do you church plant and how do you address these issues 
in you know this this you know mix of just really heated emotions yeah you know i i think it's a really good question because you know i i look at it when when i'm watching the news or um you know reading the stuff that everybody reads i think that in america we are a, i've said this before but we are a culture of anger so you read the first paragraph and you already be angry. You haven't even heard the full story about what's happened and you've immediately chosen sides. Mm. And I think that America has conditioned us to, you know, immediately draw the line in the sand before we have all the facts. And what, what I notice with America is immediately, and I used to have this because I was raised in Orange County, California, which is strongly Republican and um white middle class and you know i just fell in with my culture i mean we were i guess we'd be considered lower uh, middle class raised by a single mom lived in apartments the whole nine yards but um you know I, still the culture i was in is is known for being largely republican it's a very rich county there's lots of big business there and um so you you tend it's not like growing up in la it's not like growing up in in new york the stuff that you hear is different, even Long Beach. So, you know, funny enough, it's one city away, but if you go from Huntington Beach where the Sending Church is and you cross the boundary into Long Beach, which is then L.A. County, you've left what we call the Orange County, orange Curtain. Um, we used to talk about living behind the Orange Curtain, this protective bubble. Um, then you've gone into another world. And so we had to condition people, look, you can't talk at church like you're a white middle class Republican because you will uh, quickly find where things lie in Long Beach. And it, it is not across the same party boundaries that you have been accustomed to. But I think the first question, before we talk about, you know, how we're going to reach people, I think the first thing is to understand uh, the mindset, to understand where's the pain, um, to look past the behaviors, to look past the writing, to look past what people are saying and to say, what, what's the real conflict here? Um, why, you know, what, what is the black community? Cause if, if we're going to talk about it, right, it's not the white community that's upset about the ruling. It's the black community that's upset. If I, if I can just quickly in a, in a broad brushstroke, obviously there's white people upset about it. Um, but what I'm saying is primarily, the focus of the 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 anger um you know has come from the black community so why are they upset what are they saying what is not the behavior but what is the wound that's there that this has been like salt rubbing into that wound what is the wound and uh you know that's the first question yeah and so i mean as as you follow through with that I, I don't see I don't, I don't even know how you deal with it. I don't know how you deal with it because it's a topic that everyone like and maybe I'm totally off. I mean, maybe it's not that big of a deal like when you get together for a, a Sunday service or your missional community. Maybe it's it's not the topic, but I just I I can't believe that that's not what's coming up. I mean, how do you address it? How, how do you Yeah. 
I mean, there, and, and maybe maybe it is as simple as you know what, um, if someone's not ready to address the issue in their own life, and I don't mean the issue of race, I mean the issue of anger, the issue of of um, getting right with God. Maybe they're not at that point yet because uh, that's the only thing that, obviously, in my opinion, that's going to cure that from both mm-hmm. sides, right? You know, the, yeah. the, they're obviously racist people out there. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I, I got my own opinions on the whole ruling and all that stuff, but um, the only thing that's really going to fix that is, is God. It's the only thing yeah. that's really going to truly fix it. And I don't know, maybe it is as simple as, look, you, you just got to be available. And when they're ready to come around, they're ready to come around. I don't know. That's, I don't well, know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's come on the back of like the Trayvon Martin case and, you know, what, what you're seeing is you're seeing the black community feeling like there's no protection for them and that there is a separate uh, justice for the black man than there is for the white man. And that's what, well, and see, I get that's what they're, they're saying. Some of them are saying, yeah. And at the same time I look at it and I'm like, okay, you know, from, from my standpoint, I'm like, it's completely not true. Because, yeah, I don't know that it's completely not true. Well, what, yeah, you're right. Not, not completely. Historically, it has been true. But, and so well, that but, has but, been but let's back up a I second think. here. Let's back up a second. You, you I mean, th- there was a great video this morning that I was watching and a, a black minister um, right in the heart of it all just going off and is like, you're seriously going to tell me that um, – it's white man's fault and we can't get any justice and slavery still alive. He goes, we had 47 drive-by shootings last weekend alone. Those weren't white guys coming by shooting at black people. Those are black guys shooting at black guys. And this is a black minister saying this. And he's quoting scripture left and right. So I, I get, you know, where they're saying, oh, we can't, you know, get any justice. But at the same time, you got to look at it and go, dude, you, you can't be serious. Like, the black community is not being good to the black community. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you penetrate into that? And, or do you, maybe I'm just too, you You know, orange County. I don't know. But but the first thing I think that you need to do is you need to kind of, this is what I'm saying. You have to disengage from the first, you have to disengage from forming an opinion. And you can form an opinion, I'm not saying, but if you're going to talk about the gospel, the first step always to resolution is hearing what the other Mm. person is saying. Mm. And so for me, I'm a white boy, but I've adopted two mixed race kids. And so, you know, when I see the Trayvon Martin thing, you know, I, I get a little... I get a little protective because I think, well, you know, I could be my daughter's boyfriend in future. And in these cases, you know, these were unarmed young black men that were shot to death. And, you know, uh, you you just wonder, you think to yourself, well, what if it were a white kid that were shot, you know, and would there, would there, first off, it might not blow up in the media because it wouldn't be made into a race issue. Yeah. But when it is, it, 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 it's because of the history. And so, I know that we're conditioned to say, oh, well, you know, because w- what it is for white people when you see us, you're, you're feeling the reverse racism. Like now they're just mad, you know, black people are just mad at white people now. And, and it, it perpetuates the animosity between the two groups. And so I think what we need to do is kind of back off and say, what would Jesus say into this? Mm-hmm. So 
going into the New Testament, I, it's amazing when you start studying the New Testament with an eye towards race issues. Race issues are not in the background, believe it or not, in the New Testament. They are in the forefront of every epistle. Every epistle deals with the tension between the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew who felt he was better than the Gentile. And it was a form of racism. And so Paul bends over backwards to say, wait a second. Way back when God chose the Israelite, he chose them as missionaries. He didn't choose them as, like we say, it's God's special people. Um, as if they were the, the chosen race of people. Um, the chosen people meant they were the chosen light bearers mm. to the rest of the world. And so Paul bends over, even in Galatians, to say, wait a second, don't you understand that God said through you, I will bless the entire world? In other words, all races. And so uh, from cover to cover, from Genesis, which promises salvation to every race, to Revelation, which says standing in heaven is every tongue, tribe, and nation, the Bible addresses race. And it includes every race into the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, um, and, and you see these crossovers all throughout the Bible, like some people have the idea that um, all throughout the Bible, like God is just dealing with the Jew, and it almost seems racist. But in almost every book of the Bible, there's a Gentile who gets factored in somehow. Um, for example, the very first Old Testament prophet was Jonah. Well, who does he go to? The Ninevites, right? He he he. The first missionary to the world was Jonah. And if you remember, the reason he's upset is because they are non-Jews. And so he runs from his mission and God gives him the plant at the end to teach him a little bit about grace, that grace is not deserved, Jonah. Grace is grace. And so, you know, and Jonah's thinking, well, then I have the law and they're, they're evil people. And, you know, things like Rahab in the book of Judges, um, you know, Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law. I mean, there's all these people that are, you know, his wife, Zipporah. Um, there's all these non-Jews, non-Abrahamic Jews that are factored in to the plan of salvation. One of those in Jesus' own lineage um, is Rahab the prostitute. And not only is she a prostitute, but she's also a Gentile. And so as you, as you go into the Bible, you start, you know, you see Naaman pop in, you see uh, Ruth pop in, you see all these Gentiles being brought in. And, and that is scandalous. You have to understand that is scandalous to the Jewish mindset. And then when Jesus pops on the scene, um, you know, we constantly have race issues. We have uh, the Gentile who comes to him and Jesus makes a statement in all of Israel. I have not found faith like this. He's identifying race there. When he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, he is telling a race parable about prejudice, how you know uh, those, the Jews, all the righteous ones of, of the Jewish faith community pass him by, and the guy who stops is actually uh, a Samaritan, right. a pagan-worshipping Samaritan, a half-breed of Jew, and uh, uh, not Samaritan. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, shoot. Assyrian. The Assyrians and the Jews mated and produced um, Samaritan. So, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, race issues all the way throughout. And then in the epistles, um, it's Jew and Gentile. And in Ephesians, Paul makes this brilliant statement that 
in Christ, God abolishes these two races and makes a new man Mm. out of the two, that there is a new race of humanity. That's what he's saying. He's actually saying the new man is actually translated new race and that there's a new race. The, the, The old race, Jew and Gentile, one was near to God and one was far from God, but neither could dwell with God. And so God had to make a new race of people who could dwell with him. Right, coming to the holy of holies. So, so okay. So let's look at it um, from the standpoint of because because here's the one thing you know well, we can take to the bank I, at this I know point. You want to get practical, and so we're, well, we're going to. But I, I kind of want to get practical, but I kind of I mean in a different way. So um, here's here's my question. We know that race is going to be an issue for years to come. Uh, we're just as a nation, we're not at the point where we're ready to get past this, right? Right. So let's say, so we know stuff like this is going to happen again in the future. I mean, that's just a given, right? I mean, that's the reason why this time everyone was so prepared. They're like, hey, um, you know, when this verdict comes down, uh, we're not going to do it on the weekend. We're, you know, they they had all these rules because they didn't know what the verdict was going to be, but they're like, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Something's happening. Right. So let's say, that you do have a church plant or whatever in um, an area that something might go off, you know, because of something that happens in the future. So let's look at the future here. What do you do as a church planner? What, what do you do in your own church? What do you do in your own community? How do you become, you know, a place where people can go and grieve and um, express their anger. Yeah. H- how do you do that? How, what's the practical application for just being that place where people can go? And because maybe that's the way that you just got to reach them. Like you said, just let, them, let people vent, whatever it is. It doesn't even matter what side they're on. You know, so what are some of the things that they can do? If, if that question well, even makes sense. I know it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And for Refuge in Long Beach, I can remember when um, the Ferguson thing first happened. Um, you, you know, I was there um, the following week and I prayed. And of course, like I said, I mean, if I show, you know, my, my you know, if I nail my political colors to the mast on this, to me, I may have a different view than a lot of our listeners. My view would be regardless of what anyone thinks about it, I'm hearing the pain and I'm hearing the sense of betrayal from the black community. Mm. I'm, I'm hearing that. I don't care the right or wrong of it, right? For me, if I'm reaching the black community, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to the pain. I'm going to listen to the symptom. I'm going to listen to the fact, A, you're hurting. And B, you, you really need to know that I know that you're hurting. And you don't need me to get up there and pray a prayer about, you know, these people looting and this and that and talk like a white person, you know, like I'm the plantation owner um, and I am in a privileged power. It, to, to the black mindset, the white man lives in a different world. And people, you know, immediately when you say that, white people bristle because they're like, well, <laughs> you know, come on, man. I'm like, I'm not racist. And I get that. And I think a lot of our listeners. Yeah. But I mean, I I actually get where uh, they come from on that because I I mean, the, the stuff that I've read uh, and, and what I see done by the government, by police in different States. um, It is, it is in my opinion, criminal 
uh, how they treat um, minorities because they can get away with it. You know, uh, some of the laws are so unconstitutional to me, but you got no one who's got any money who can fight it and take it all the way up the Supreme Court and get it to come back and say, yeah, you're right. You know, this stuff is unconstitutional. Like I remember reading this one article and the only thought that went through my head is, man, it's good that I'm white because if I were driving on that freeway and the cops pulled me over, at least I know they're going to be like, well, it's a white guy. Because if I was a minority, I'm toast. Like I'm reading this going, I'm toast. So yeah. I I definitely believe that there are um, there is you know I, I don't know I I don't know if it's as uh, black and white as some people feel you know the difference between white and black and Hispanic and Latino and you know all that but there is I mean th- there is absolutely issues race issues and and how it affects us and how we see things I mean the big one here in California. Uh, much more than uh, black and white is uh, is you know uh, Hispanic Mexican specifically um, and and uh, you know white and the big issue of course is immigration illegal immigration I mean that's like the huge issue um, and and that's an issue that uh, as church planners we're gonna have to face like if if part of who we reach isn't necessarily let's say it's not the black community what if it's it is the Latino community. Yeah. Um, well, and you can't and be like, "Oh, we got to close the border." I mean, pff, you just you, you lost your whole influence with them. Oh, I'd say, and and here's the thing: if if you're in a church and you look around and your community is a mixed race community, um, you know, obviously, if you're living in Orange County, there's, I mean, there's not a lot of black people in Orange County. It's true, man. There's tons of Asian, tons of Hispanic not a lot of black. And if you're running a church in Orange County and it's just white people, you got some issues and you need to look at those. I would say that if you're planting and you are not reflecting the ethnic makeup of your community, there, there's a, there's an issue there. It shows that there's a blind spot. You have not. Um, and I, I don't believe you need to segregate your church plant now on language. Sometimes, you know, you might say, well, we need a Hispanic work here because it's good for people to hear the gospel in their first language. And that's cool. You know, I dig on that. But um, but as far as for us in Long Beach, it was important to us that we reach people from the black community. And so I started having black people share their testimony. Number one, I wanted black people up on stage. I, I, I knew that if it were just white people all the time, that there would be an issue. And even now, like I'm, I'm, you know, I sat with uh, Don Overstreet and I was talking with him. He's got 50 years experience working in LA and multi-ethnic churches and tribes and stuff or his uh, people groups is what he calls them. Um, that's his passion. And so I was talking to Don and I was like, Don, you know, um, as far as like black leadership, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. And I started talking to him. He goes, the thing is, Peyton, the more you focus on that stuff, the weirder it gets. Hmm. Um, it has to be something. It's kind of like the greeters at the door of your church. Everyone knows it's kind of fake. If you, if you specifically, <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk about before the podcast. Oh, that was so funny. You, oh my gosh. We'll come back. You, you, <laughs> I set Pete up. I, I totally sabotaged his Sunday morning, but, uh, but we'll come back to that. But, but here's the deal is that, um, you don't want to force that. Like you, you don't set out and say, well, I need to get black leadership in because it was definitely on my mind. And it's something that even now in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I want black leadership. But if I, 
if I go recruiting black people and saying, hey, we need black leadership. Will you come black man and be a leader at our church? It's going to be weird. And what what instead, what Don, you know, he gave me some advice because I said, look, we've got right now, it's anywhere from one quarter to one third of our congregation is black. And what I'm really concerned about is that it's not just white or Hispanic leaders, because I see Paul strategically taking guys in Acts 20, verse four, um, two from four different regions, you know, eight guys, um, teams of two um, from four different regions. And so he broke it up. He broke it up geographically in, in two people groups, his mission team. And so Don said, well, all I would say, Peyton, is disciple the people in front of you. And as you disciple the people in front of you, it will naturally, in a congregation that's made up of this different combination of, of people from different people groups, you'll naturally disciple these people, and these are your future leaders. And that worked for me, and it was natural. And, and because I couldn't figure out a way to talk about it or to talk around it without it sounding weird. Well, if you can't talk about it without it sounding weird, then it's going to be weird when you do it. So, you know, so for me, I just had to back off, but I'm mindful of it. I think that the first thing is be mindful of it. And part of that comes back to practically, what do we do? How do we reach this community? So if I were going to church on Sunday after the Ferguson ruling, um, which I say, you know, if I were, because, you know, <laughs> I, I never go to Long Beach. No, I no, went to Long you just, Beach just Sunday. Yeah, you were, you were just there preaching. So it's a, What's it's that? A, you were just there preaching. So someone's up, someone else is up this next week. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I tell you what, man, the, the presence of God in that church Sunday morning was, oh my gosh, it was, there was something special going on that day, man. Um, it was so thick he could cut it with a knife. And, but what, what I would do is I would literally, um, I, I would go up like, like when the Ferguson rule, you know, the Ferguson shootings first happened and the writing first was going on. I was in the pulpit the next Sunday and I just felt this burden on my heart to pray about the situation. And I prayed as if, you know, I were a black person. I mean, I know that sounds weird to say it like that, but um, I, I prayed with sympathy for the black community because, you know, what? the white people in front of me, let's be honest, they weren't hurting in the same way that the black people were. And as a, as a leader and as a pastor hmm. of that congregation. Yeah, that's actually, that's a really potent thought. I mean, what you just said, let's face it, the white people are not hurting like the black people are. That's a yeah. really potent thought. Like, I can totally get that. I can totally get that. And so I prayed. You know, I prayed for the pain. I prayed for the heartache. I didn't get political. I didn't pray about the right or wrong of the situation. And and there is a time. Like, don't get me wrong. There is a time to speak into it. But Jesus, by and large, avoided the politics of it and went for the heart of it. And, you know, I, I just, the reason I say there's a time is I'm looking at like Martin Luther King Jr. Praise God for that man. Right. Mm. Um, and, and others like him that made stands, um, you know, William Wilberforce, you know, they, these are people from our heritage who made stands on race and we need to embrace them and be proud of them. Um, and thank God for them. Um, that is the church at its best. But my, my point is that, you know, on that morning, I was just looking at the people in front of me and saying, God, comfort them and minister to them. And I've never had this for a prayer before. People clapped. Never had that before, you know, praying for the, for the people, praying into the hurt, praying that. See, that's God funny because that, that actually happens to me every time I pray, but you know, that's cool. 
Yeah, but you got that sound bite that you keep hitting, Pete. That doesn't count. <laughs> no, that's actually, I, I think that's really um, what you just hit on to me makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it really does. Because that's that's been my thought is like, how how as a church planner do you deal with this when you're dealing with emotions that are so varied, literally so varied, so all over the place? Um. And, and part of it is, I, I think, I mean, what you hit on, one, don't worry about the people who aren't hurting because <laughs> they're already not hurting. Um, worry about the Absolutely. ones that are hurting. It, it's really interesting because like Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, if you don't know him as a preacher, you know, he's known as the doctor, right? Um, one of the greatest preachers outside of Spurgeon and 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 Paul, right? There's there's Those are like my three big boys, right? The guys that as far as preachers since Jesus that really impact me. But Lloyd-Jones, you know, he, he had a, his very first book was called, um, oh, shoot. Oh, what is it? Um, where's, no, it's not where, uh, something about war. Shoot. It's, it's evading me, but it was a, it was a, it was a book. It was an apologetic um, uh, about war. You know, what does God think of war? Uh, does God approve of war or something like that? Where's God during war? I can't remember. But anyways, um, and, and it's since been changed because it's lost its context after, you know, it was World War II that he was the preacher at Westminster Chapel in London. And um, does God allow war? Or why does God allow war? That was the title. And it's since be, been called, why does God allow suffering? And what Lloyd-Jones did is he would preach to, not always, and he warned against this, but he also made this caveat. That when you're a preacher and you're standing in front of people, you're leading a faith community, you need to address these issues. You cannot be silent on them because the whole time you're preaching, if Ferguson is going on and you have not applied the gospel to it, um, if you look at the scriptures, things like um, Habakkuk and shoot, so many of the prophets are looking at their world events and giving God's heart on it. The preacher has that responsibility to prophetically speak into the current events. Now, you don't want to be a current event preacher. That's what Lloyd-Jones um, really cautioned against. So you don't watch it, read the newspapers and, oh, I'm going to preach on that this week because that's big in the newspapers. You don't do that, but you've actually failed the task that God has set before you to be a prophetic voice to the world if you ignore it. And the funny thing is, is that if you're a fan of Lloyd-Jones, um, what he did was make his sermons timeless, he told the editors to take all references to current events out so that they would survive past um, his death and past the times they were preached in. But a lot of reform preachers in particular, um, because of that, you know, Lloyd-Jones is a big boy in the reform camp, same with Spurgeon, but because of that, a lot of these sermons were edited. There's been this tradition to ignore um, these kinds of issues. And I just don't think that we can because the whole time you're skipping over it the people in front of you are thinking about it and wondering what on earth does this have to do with the world today or the world in which we live and so you would do yourself and your congregation a much uh needed service of addressing whatever you're teaching on to the needs of today as well and just even if it's not your main fare that you touch on it and even if it were just having a special time of prayer for it to show that hey, God has something to say for the very real needs and hurts in this world today. And I think that's important. 
And let me ask you a question on that because I, I think what you just said is is so uh, so important that people take that and um, and you know apply it. Um, what do you do if you have a time of prayer and it's an open time of prayer, like we have at Refuge? Yeah, and you have someone stand up, a bonehead who makes some political statement, one way or the other. Or, you know, specifically, what if it's someone who makes a statement in their prayer, quote unquote, right, uh, that really just hurts people who are already hurting? Yeah. How do you as a leader address that? Um, You know, I mean, what do you do? You need to address it, right? I mean, you just had someone stand up and was a bonehead. Yeah. If someone did that, I think what I would do is I would, um, as Spurgeon said once upon a time, I would um, pray against them. I would, um, I would actually, I would immediately pray and I would pray the opposite. And then people would know, it would kind of set the tone for everyone there that that is not, you don't come in and embarrass that person, just like that person had the freedom to pray. Um, that's one of the risks of open time. And I would talk to them afterwards and I would say, hey, have you looked around the room? Have you realized that your comments, that you were sharing political views during a prayer to God? And that that may not be the best idea if you really want to get people um, to be focusing on Christ and and get politics can be such a barrier for people, right? Um, I remember a woman who was part of the art community who's in our church at Refuge Long Beach. She said for years the hardest thing for her about thinking about becoming a Christian was she said I didn't want to become a Republican, mm. and that was a real. I thought if I became a Christian, I had to become a Republican. And she was a raging liberal Democrat. <laughs> so she was like, you know, I, I, that was a big barrier to me. And I think we have to be aware of those dynamics because people have heard the Christian right wing for so long. And I'm not bashing them. I'm just saying people have heard that um, and identified that that is Christianity. And for me, and I know we've said this before, Pete, Jesus didn't belong to any political party in his day and he doesn't today. I don't think he's a Republican or a Democrat. He'd probably tell them all, repent, or you'll, you'll all likewise perish. Because when Jesus was set up with a political question, that was his answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. In fact, one of our guests who we had on the show, uh, I don't even know how many episodes ago, uh, Coleman Luck. And we were talking about one of his books. I don't remember which one it was. He's written many. And uh, one of the comments that he made on Facebook um not recently, this was a little while ago, but it's always stuck in the back of my mind. He's, he said, you know, I'm a firm believer that God's not going to come back until every form of government that man can conceive has been tried and proven to fail. Yeah. And um, I mean, and, and I get that, right? Because God's looking at it going, you guys can't do it without me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can't. So would would God be a Republican or a Democrat? No, he'd be sitting there going, Look, little kids, <laughs> that's not going to work. Go ahead and try it, but in the end, it's not going to work. Yeah, and and that's what we're yeah. seeing today. I mean, we're, we're seeing the the collapse of uh, the republic form of government. It's it's collapsed into a democracy, and it'll just continue to to go down from there. Um, in the end, the only thing that's going to be proven to work is just God. Period. Yeah, just God. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I totally agree with that, and and um, 
and can see that and relate. And I think, honestly, for myself, I think that helps so much in in thinking, how do you deal with this in the church? Because, and, and one of the things I, I want to get across to um, to the listener is, you know, my my own views on the whole Ferguson stuff. Um, one, I, I, I don't know what the evidence was. All right, I wasn't on the grand jury. Um, I, I have no idea if the dude did it out of malice or, you know, it was self-defense. I have no idea. And honestly, I don't even care. I mean, when the whole thing happened, you know, a few months ago, I was like, whatever. You know, it's just more stuff going on in the world. And this is just the stuff that comes up. And one of the things that I've struggled with is I'm actually, I, I have such a huge distrust for the government in general and for cops. I mean, as a financial planner, I've got clients who are cops. And I always thought they were, you know, well, good people. I, I tell you what, man, being in, in downtown Long Beach with a church plant has been an eye-opener for me. I, I have seen things that I wish I had never seen. I have seen the other side of when police go bad. That's the thing. I mean, in the last probably two months... I've had a cop show up to my house and I've had an FBI agent show up to my house. And man, I, I like panicked when both of them happened because I've literally been in situations where I have seen uh, the federal government railroad a buddy of mine. And that's why I thought the FBI was at my house. They wanted to, you know, interview me um, on my buddy's case. Turns out that wasn't the deal. The, the lady literally across the street from me was applying for a job for the FBI. And so, it was like one of those, yeah, we just want to see if you got anything bad to say about your neighbor. But I was like, oh, crap, dude. Are they coming to me to to ask me? Because it was the, the feds who went after my buddy. Sure. And then, um, you know, I had the cops come to my house. Uh, and I've got two dogs. One's a, a pit bull and the other one's a lab. And when you come to my house, they sound like they're going to kill you. Like they're oh, going to yeah. rip you to shreds, which is actually kind of nice because we have a lot of um, – break-ins in our neighborhood because it's such a nice neighborhood everyone comes here to, to break into houses uh, it, it actually is true it's, right, we, we've got right on of, the edge of long beach it is it's right on the edge of long beach and we're right mm. by a um a big sewer uh drainage uh um i don't know aqueduct i guess you call it you you are the number one destination for burglars the guys that whose backyards back the up prison to, wall for for a, a tourist destination. We're a couple of houses over from the aqueduct, but the guys who are on the aqueduct, like almost <laughs> every house has been hit on both sides, yeah. all the way up and down it, because it's like that's how they get in. They just you know. Yeah. So you know, I had the cop show up, and I'm like, oh, and he's like, hey, can I come in? You know, my dogs sound like they're gonna tear his head off. And I'm like, hold on, you know, let me put my dogs out. So I put my dogs outside, and I won't let them in my house. Cops don't get to come in my house unless you got a warrant. <laughs> Just, right. I don't trust cops. I mean, yeah. but so I, I'm saying this and I want people to understand. It's not like I, I'm some guy who's like, oh, I, I totally believe that cops were innocent in this thing. That's not where I, I come from at all on the whole Ferguson thing. I come from a very like jaded background where I always have to remind myself, not all cops are bad. Not all cops are bad. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like that's always a thought going through my head. But, you know, as I looked at the whole thing, I'm like, dude, I just see angry people. You know, people who are protesting who didn't hear anything, but they already believe something. And it's on both sides, right? And like you said, it's almost like a black-white issue. You've got, you know, white guys who just immediately side with the cop. Oh, well, you know, you know dude's out there doing his job. So, you know, and we're going to put him on trial. Then you got 
you know, the other side who's like, hey, my hands are up, you know, hey, don't don't do anything to me. And then you got, you know, the crazy element who's like, hey, we're just going to go loot and use this as, a, as an excuse. And that was just my big question is, man, how in the world do you church plant? How do you be a pastor in these kind of environments where there's emotions that are running uh, this high? And uh, for there, me, honestly, I really think it's looting too that I think that people don't understand. And it, on one hand, like I look at Facebook and I see people saying, you know, um, hey, you know, uh, I'm so upset about this political, uh, you know, thing that I went out and bought, you know, looted myself a giant color TV and, and it's meant to ridicule, but you have to understand that in, in, I mean, looting is the stupidest thing you can do, right? Especially if you're, you're looting your own community, but people in the white community, perhaps in some ways don't understand that the mindset behind the looting is this, um, I have no weapons. I have no power. I have nothing else I can do to show my rage and my anger. And sure, there's people that just want a color TV, but there's also a sense of you're in the projects, you're in the hood, you're in this neighborhood, you're never getting out. And you are a subservient to a system that does not look after you. And you're hitting back. And in some ways, what you're doing is you're burning down everything around you because you're angry, because you don't know what else to do to hit back. And so looting is, you know, um, these people could rise up and loot anytime they want. I mean, there's, it's not like, you know, but it is connected to the rage and anger and the sense of powerlessness. This is a power that people possess in um, ghettos and um, these areas. It is a type of rioting. There was a, a good deal of people that were saying, hey, we're going to riot and we're going to show our anger. Um, we're angry, but we're not going to loot and riot. And like any movement, right? It's kind of like Christians. Sometimes you got people, um, you know, who ruin it for everyone else. And let's let's not forget that there yeah. are people that did not loot well, that and, are trying and, to express themselves as well. And that was, that was one of the interesting things that um, I don't know. I mean, how... Because this was before my time, I don't know how Dr. King did what he did to galvanize uh, the the black community in such a way that had such a huge impact on the nation. And, and it wasn't done through violence. It wasn't done through, um, you know, the ways that we see so many people doing it today. I mean, it's like... I don't know what it was about that guy, his leadership that that he exuded, and how he was able to to really bring together a whole community. But I mean that that was the uniqueness of of what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did. That you know we just yeah. don't we don't have that today. I mean we don't we don't really have anyone at that level. I mean maybe there'll be someone who'll step up and um, and be at that level who. You know, people well, will look to maybe it'll be Obama. Who knows? Yeah, Martin Luther King Jr. He he was interesting because <laughs> I love how you just fly he, past that. Just fly past it. <laughs> he was he was a doctor. He was Doctor King, and he was someone who right away he was a minister. He was trusted, and he was a doctor. I mean, this was a very well educated man, and what he did was inspire people. So. Um, he led the marches. If you look at Dr. King, the reason that they were always concerned for his safety is he was the first one out there on the front lines. And so 
not only was he a, a great spokesperson, but um, he was also a role model. And, you know, and that's, that's what I suppose in these situations that that's really, if you want to see the same change sparked. I mean, I, I always look at it with great interest because I think the Asian community has been particularly vocal. Um, they've, they've um, been really challenging, you know, uh, peacefully a lot of the stereotypes over the years and hitting back a bit um, and saying, hey, we're not going to take this racism and this ridicule. And same with the Hispanic community. The Hispanic community has kind of been the soft target. And you mentioned in California, like um, I will hear people that will never make racist comments against black people um, because that is a ta- in, in white circles that I run in to make a derogatory statement against a black black person makes you trailer trash. Just automatically zero respect in any any setting that you're in that I run in. Right. Um, I would but, agree. I would say you're you're immediately labeled a massive racist. Yeah, it's just not cool, and that has been a major shift in society. Um, but at the same time, um, in the circles I run in, I will sometimes hear comments against Mexicans, and it and it, you know, for for me, my mom was an ESL teacher. My daughter's part Mexican. Of course, she's part everything. My youngest, you know, she's Filipino. She's part Asian. She's part Mexican. And she looks Filipino. She does. And she's part Irish. So, you know, she's she's a little bit of everything. You know, we can eat almost at any restaurant, celebrate a cultural. And I'm going to have a Chinese baby. I can't wait. Or a Chinese (laughs) church plant. But but the the deal is, is that um, Mexicans have been the soft target. And when my mom was an ESL teacher, she always used to say, don't be surprised if during your lifetime we see a civil rights movement from the Hispanic community. And what amazes me hmm. is to watch the attitudes of white Americans who would shun any comment made towards a black person, yet they will sit and bash on a Mexican and not see the disconnect in the 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 the, the, the contradiction there and not understand their own racism. That has been to me, and especially living outside of America for 12 years and coming back and hearing people groan about, you know, the immigration, hearing them groan about, you know, the, the health care, hearing them groan about all the tensions that exist in California between uh, citizens and non-citizens. And yet there, there is still, this is the thing that I think people need to understand. Racism is far from being over in America. And Jesus addressed it in his day. And if you want to change things and not perpetuate things, then you've got to start looking at the scripture and how Jesus handled these issues and what he did. And you've got like for me, I, I remember at a certain point looking at worship and we, we always joke about this because um, even now, like I'm looking for a guy to, to lead worship on a mixing desk and I'm, I've not found the person yet. But I would like uh, either an electric violin or a banjo. Those are the two instruments you, that I'm okay with. My friend, you, my friend, want. I've got the power. Ding, ding, ding. You know when you were saying that, that you were looking for uh, someone who's black to be in leadership for the church. I was thinking, please let them be in the praise band. Please let them be in the praise band. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we can get some good totally, music. Well, and here's the thing: is not only that, but um, my illustrations had to change. Like this is the the funniest thing to me is I've started looking for illustrations that are not just white, white Puritan male, white history, Anglo, you know, church history illustrations. 
I will now read stuff by Martin Luther King Jr. I will uh, check out stuff from the black community and quote them because that's connecting with the people that are in front of me. And if I were a missionary, I remember going to Wales and I read their uh, book, The Mabinogion. I read Land of My Fathers, which is a thousand and something volume of their history. I read novels, historical novels about them and the mining industry. Um, I read so much crud about whales that when I went there and I could just drop stuff in conversation, it was an immediate open door. They'd be like, you know, my culture, like, who are you? You know, American, how do you, how do you know the Mabinagion, you know, which is our Celtic mythology? How do you know this? How do you know that? And that's what Paul did when he went places. He, one of your own poets has said, he says in, in on Mars Hill. And I think for us, we need to do that. We, if you want to reach people from these different cultures, you want to um, make mm-hmm. sure the gospel is accessible to all then you need to stop if you're a white person thinking like a white person. Um, equally, if you're any race, you, you have to start uh, taking into account the other races in front of you. If you're Mexican, you need to think about Chinese. If you're black, you need to think about Mexican or Asian you, 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 or white people. You, it goes all across the board in America. Because when I look at heaven, when I see the telescope point to heaven in the book of Revelation, he gets a close-up view and he goes, hey, I saw everybody there. And we we're all worshiping around the throne together. and if we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we're not just waiting to get to heaven to see black people worshiping next to white people. We're trying to see the kingdom come now. And what a great witness for people in this racial tension to walk into your church and to see your church, black people and white people holding hands and praying together and uh, you know, seeing that that's what Jesus does, right? Like you said, failed government separates people. The media separates people and alienates people. But Christ brings people together. And I think that's the key. Yeah. Well, and that's, before we get off, Pete. I was um, just going to say, that's the whole but, thing is that um, it, it in a lot of ways, I mean, there are people who uh, they make money from the divisiveness. I mean, whether it's the media that uh, the more ratings they get, the better advertising dollars they get. They make money yeah. off of the hatred. They make money yes. off of people being mad at each other. And then, of course, you got race baiters. You got all of this that goes into it. And that's why uh, it is such a it, – it's an issue that I don't think we're going to see go away anytime soon. And that's why we need to address how do we reach it. I, I think actually um, – I, I don't know. I personally got a lot out of this particular podcast. I thought I thought you did good, Peyton. Way to go. Way to go, bud. I thought you did do uh, good too, Pete. But you know, we should talk about your little experience on Sunday before we get off here. I heard you had an exceptionally warm meet and greet this past Sunday. You know, here's the thing: if this wasn't a church that I actually liked, that would have been the last Sunday I ever showed up there. I kid you not. Tell, tell us what happened, Pete. Well, they did the stupid meet and greet again. You know, where everyone's supposed to, oh, hi, how you doing, and. And everybody who likes that is is quite frankly blind because they like it. They're like, oh, so everyone else here must like it. You actually yeah. said something to me one time. I don't even know if I should say it, but you're, I, you know, you just do the fist bump, right? You're like, I actually don't shake hands. I do the fist bump. Yeah, <laughs> at refuge Long do Beach. The fist bump. Why do you do the fist bump? Because of hepatitis. That, that's that's yeah, because there's a lot of hepatitis, right? <laughs> And I mean, my point is, you got people who are like, I love doing the meet and greet. That's because you just blind. <laughs> you just blind. 
Right. Well, so let's put it this way: the, the the meet and greet happened after I stopped being there every week, and yes, that's because the guy who came in to be one of the teaching pastors came from a church, and he loved it there, and I hated it at that church when I went there. So, uh, so anyway, everyone's doing the meet and greet, and then you like start sending people, "Hey, go say hi to Pete," because you know how much I hate this Whoa. thing. So no, I get up. Was great, Pete. Is, I get up and I leave. I, I go to the I back. Came up to you. I came up to you, and I think some guy, first off, someone, I can't remember who it was, started to hug you because they knew. No, no, they didn't hug me. No, no, that came after. So I, I literally, I get out of my chair, and I go to the back foyer area, and I'm just standing back there. I'm like, look, everyone else, go shake everyone else's hand. I, I'm not, I'm done with this, right? And I come up to you, and I'm like. Gail comes over to me. Gail, Eric's uh, wife, comes over, and she starts, and she gives me a hug, and I'm like, dude, lady, you don't listen to the podcast. You don't know how I feel about hugs, right? So I like barely, I, I, I barely put my arm around her at all. Just barely. And then she goes, oh, that's not a hug. I got to feel it or something like that. And I go, oh, I'm not much of a hugger. I, I just, that's not my thing. She goes, I don't care. And then it was like a bear hug from her. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, she was, she was going to make you feel the love. And and the funny thing is I'm standing, you're standing in the back kind of like, we can't call it a foyer. It's really like the hallway to the auditorium where the bathrooms are. And you're standing there around the corner. And I'm standing right around the corner from you. And people are coming up, hi. And they're like shaking my hand. I'm like, hey. There's a guy standing right outside there. I think he feels lonely. You he feels lonely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a butthead. Oh, my God. It's like stiff as a board, man. Your face is beat red. You look like Donald Sutherland. Like, if people don't know, Pete, there's this look he gets where it's kind of like the look, I'm going to kill you, and his eyes go kind of like Donald Sutherland, but a red-haired Donald Sutherland. And uh, that's what you look like. You You had the Donald Sutherland look going on. Man. And I, I actually, I got a little scared at that point. Like Pete's bigger than me, and uh, he's gonna kill me. But uh, it was funny, man. It, it was worth it. It was worth the danger. It was the but double was hug from Gail that I thought was over the top, man. I was like, I didn't even. I think I had to go, like go home and tell Jamie. I'm like, I gotta tell you what happened at church. I feel so dirty. <laughs> my my favorite part though was when the big tall guy came around the corner. Peyton told me um, to do it. <laughs> Peyton told yeah, me to he, say hi to you. <laughs> did he say that? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. At least, at least he's real about it. Hey, Peyton told me to come say hi. Because he came around the corner and he's like, he said something like, oh, I I guess uh, he didn't want that or something like that. It was pretty funny. And I said, yeah, man, I'm sorry. I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, jeez, oh, whatever. I mean, he's actually a nice guy. I like him. But it, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not into that kind of thing. So yeah that's that's not my feel so you know all, all i gotta say in in closing is uh the church planner podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve but the podcast they need and remember don't have a meet and greet at your church that's right if you get one thing from this podcast don't have a meet and greet in your church unless pete is there as a guest speaker then make sure you have an extra strong prolonged meet and greet on pete's behalf and point him out as the special guest of the day, stating that uh, you need to come up and hug this man. He has not been hugged for a very long time. And with that, Church Planner, thanks for joining us today. And we will be back next week. Have a, uh, well, I guess you've had a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy those Thanksgiving leftovers uh, today. And we will see you next time. 
And this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you, if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.